Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. And this week, we're going to continue in John chapter 20. We're going to continue and we're going to pick up where we left off. Last week, I introduced to you this idea of sore, this idea of sore. Sore was, uh, sore is a, I'm going to pull this up on the, on the screen right, real quick. SOAR is an acronym that we use uh, to describe how to transform and tell your story. Last week, we went through S, which is C, and O, which is own. And this comes from one of the authors and psychologists behind the Enneagram. And uh, he has written a book called The Story of You. His name is, his name is Ian Morgan Kahn. Last week, we saw how Mary struggled to see her story in the empty tomb how Peter and John struggled to own the reality of the new situation and paralleled with the situation of their life after the death of Christ. Today, we're going to look at how to awaken, rewrite, and recite our story. If you'll bow your heads with me, we will jump into the word. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to serve you today, Father, in the time we spend together. God, saturate this atmosphere, Father. Uh, Do not only speak through me, Father, but speak to me. Um, that transformation can take place abroad. God, we're grateful in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Today, we are looking at the glory in the story. Last week, we learned that there is more to the story. Uh, And today, we're looking at how there is glory in the story, not just the story of Christ in the empty grave, but there is glory in your story as well. And today, as we jump into what awaken means, and we look at scripture to see what awaken means, uh, I want you just to be aware of what awaken is. What awaken is. Awaken is to wake up to the things in your present that pull you back into the story of your past. It's to wake up to the things in your present that pull you back in the story of your past. If you have not watched last week's sermon, we would love for you to have a deeper understanding of C and own, the S and O steps of this process, but we're going to invite you to go ahead and look at that uh, from last week. So today as we awaken, we're going to look at John chapter 20. We're picking up, we left off in in verse 10 last week. Uh, So today we're picking up in verse 11, and we're going to go through verse 16 for the awaken portion, and I'll read in your hearing. It says, now, where are we at? It says, now... Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In verse 11, it says that now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Last week, in verse 2, 
Mary's response to the empty tomb was one of panic, if you remember. Today, Mary's response to the empty tomb is one of sorrow. It's one of sadness. The crisis grave that we see today as a sign of salvation supplied for Mary the substance of her sorrow. She was grieving. She went in expectation to see the tomb with the body of the man that she loved, and he was no longer there. You imagine going to the graveside of a loved one to find that that body had been dug up and there is an empty grave there. Get back into the mind frame of, what, of, of the humanity with which Mary was experiencing this situation. According to verse 9, Peter and John may not have completely understood the significance of Christ's resurrection, but after wrestling with the reality of an empty grave, what they came to see, they perceived. And what they came to perceive, they believed. They began to own the reality of the story and awaken to the new story. See, but Mary's experience was completely different in this instance. Yeah, see, Mary's experience was one where she had not yet awakened to the reality of the new story. She, her expectation was shattered when she went to a grave and did not see the body where it was expected to be. Still overcome by grief, Mary is tormented by the idea that some cruel and heartless person has stolen the body of her friend. When asked by the angels why she is crying, she responds in verse 13 saying, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. In verse 14, Mary is so unaware of the reality of the new narrative that she cries within a stone's throw of the very Jesus she is crying for. The very one she is crying about is standing on her side asking her why she is crying. How many of you have been in the presence of the Christ seeking to comfort you? So lost in the sorrow of your situation when he's standing by your bedside asking, why are you crying? How many of you are blind to the very presence of the one that you're crying out to? Sometimes we miss the miracle of our new story because we're so preoccupied with the pain of our old one. Sometimes God's grace is the very thing that we grieve, but we never see it because we stay in the cemetery of our same story. I said sometimes God's grace is in the very thing that we grieve, but we never see it because we stay in the cemetery of our old story. I want you to really consider this. There was grace in the death of that relationship. There was grace in the termination of your employment. There was grace in the loss of that opportunity. There was grace in the disruption of that dream. Sometimes what we grieve is the indicator of God's grace, but we are so unable to awaken to the reality of the new story that God is trying to write in our lives. That we're overcome with sorrow only to be oblivious to the presence of the comforter nearby. Where are you failing to see the goodness of God in your life? How is your unawareness of his presence preventing you from an awakening to his power? How is God calling you out of the grave to the awakening of your new story? 
Continuing in verse 15, it says, when, when Mary is asked by Jesus himself why she is crying, she thinks he is the gardener and says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Listen, Mary is so desperate to be released from her sorrow that she is actually convinced that she's capable of carrying the corpse of a grown man. And see, some of us will quickly look to opportunities we may have to just carry the burden, to carry the load. She's just Mary, a woman. I don't know if you've ever carried dead weight or a person sleeping. Some of y'all kids get big enough where you're trying to pick them up from the couch and you're taking them to their bed. You're like, this is, wake up. You are a little too heavy for me to be doing this. Mary was, was so oblivious to the reality of the situation that she was looking for how she could go carry something, go pick something up, go burden herself. She sought physical labor in, in, in absence of actually seeking to abide with the one who was present with her. Where are you failing to abide in the presence of the comforter? Mary has not yet awakened to the new story. She has not yet moved into the present. She is still claiming an old story, a story of guilt and grief, a story of pain and purposelessness, a story of depression and defeat, a story of fear and faithlessness. And in verse 16, as if to say, wake up, Jesus calls her out of her grave by her name with one word. And he says, Mary, as if to say, wake up, he simply says, Mary, the way a, 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 a father or a mother calls the name of their child. You don't say much more. You say their name and they come. Christ in this moment was demonstrating his fatherhood, his sovereignty. He was reminding Mary of who she is by simply calling her by her name, Mary. She heard in that word the unwavering warmth of Christ's embrace for her. She heard in that word the familiar voice of the one who spent his entire friendship with her trying to convince her of her value. She heard in that word a call to the return to truth that she so quickly abandoned in the shadows of her sorrow, Mary. Her eyes failed her, but her ears could not mistake the voice of the Savior. Her name had been called by many, but only Christ could call her name out of the grave, out of the cave of confusion within which she was existing. Never was one word utterance more powerful than that one word sermon Jesus spoke when he said, Mary. I love that Jesus did not reveal himself to Mary by telling her who he was. He revealed himself to Mary by telling her who she was to him. There's a matter of identity as you are seeking to awaken to your new story. It matters who you belong to. And it matters because you just so happen to belong to the very person that fashioned you out of the fingertips of his own hands, who formed you and claimed you while you were still in your mother's womb, who even before you had the opportunity to accept him, accepted you, who loved you before you could love him, who forgave you before you could sin, who gave you grace before you ever needed mercy. This is the one who formed and fashioned you. There's a matter of identity in your awakening. Where are you failing to awaken 
to the new narrative of the grace that God has put on your life because we're so stuck in the old story that we fail to see the presence and the power of God in our life today. Wake up. Mary, wake up. I'm going to move to awaken and actually share with you the tangible, practical steps of what awakening means. In this step of awaken, we have soar, S-O-A-R-R. So we see the story, then we own the story, now we awaken the story. So what are we actually doing as we awaken the story? Awakening is as we recognize the effects of our old story in the past, we can move into the present. That's what awakening does. It wakes you up to the things in your present that pull you back into the story of your past. Now stay with me because I'm coming down your aisle. Once we've begun to see and own our old stories, in the awakened step, we can start waking up to how certain situations and stressors can trigger us to fall back into our old narrative. Stay with me. Listen, while you may not be able to prevent those stressors, awakening empowers you with the choice to respond with awareness and intentionality. The key to awaken is mindfulness. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is paying attention to what is happening in the present moment as we catch ourselves in the act of claiming our old story. When we are triggered by experiences that tap into the the enclaves of our heart that we keep hidden away from God, that we make unaccessible to God, we make those enclaves unaccessible to us. And when somebody else taps into those and triggers us in a way that we no longer have power over our own actions, awakening tells you, hey, wake up. Be aware of what is happening. Be aware of your responses. Be aware of your thinking patterns right now that are manifesting in your behavior, that are creating the cycles of the life that you feel defeated by. Wake up. Without mindfulness, we are unable to observe our behaviors in real time. In the awakened step, we develop increased awareness and learn how to resist the gravitational pull of our old story, realizing when the old story is taking control, when who I used to be is what I'm defaulting to, when that experience I had as a child that formed in me my emotional patterns and my responses to certain phenomena in my life, I'm defaulting back to that. I'm becoming aware of that. That's what awakening is. Learn how to live awake. Learn how to live awake. Be aware of how your old story influences you through the thoughts and behaviors of your daily life. Listen, listen, listen. Wake up to the fact that the toxic need to please people that you developed in response to your parents' perpetual anger is manifesting itself now in the relationships of your life and prevents you from actually building the boundaries that protect your peace. But that is not something you created. That's something that was created in you at an earlier time in your life that you are choosing to cling on to. Wake up to the fact that you hide your superiority complex behind the mask of the claim that, sorry, I'm just a perfectionist. But your perfectionism is rooted in your failed first marriage. That we never went through the proper steps to fix, 
to recover from, to restore from. Wake up. Wake up to the scripts, the narratives, the, the, the phraseology of your old story, your self-sabotage. Wake up to how you are self-loathing and the things you are telling yourself in the chatterbox of your brain. The past is always with me, and I'm never going to overcome it. No one understands how much I suffer. I don't really matter unless people see that I am special. These are things that we tell ourselves and the word of the Lord said there is life and death in the power of the tongue, not the power only of the spoken tongue, but in the power of the tongue you have within your mind. The words and phrases that you are telling yourself are creating your realities. Awaken reveals your pivot points, and it shows you the opportunities that you have to choose your new story. Wake up. The goodness of the gifts of God put in you for your current season will lie dormant in the grave of your old story if you are unwilling to unmask the magnets that pull you back into the false narrative of your past. Awaken. Awaken. We're going to move forward into John chapter 17, and it's only one verse as we look at what it means now to rewrite. We've looked at what it means to see your story last week, what it means to own your story last week. We just looked at what it means to awaken to your new story. Now we're going to enter into the fourth and perhaps most powerful stage, which is to rewrite your story. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary realizes it's Jesus and not a gardener, and she seeks to go grab onto him. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Don't hold on to me. Don't cling on to me. Instead, go. We see in this scripture two things. We see correction and commission. We see correction and we see commission. In verse 17, we see Christ correcting her when he says, do not hold on to me. That's correction. And then right after that, we see him commissioning her, go instead. And I want you to understand that God will rarely commission you without first correcting you. Before God can go and send you out, sometimes he's got to send you in. Sometimes you have to enter into the places in your heart, your soul, your life, your past, and your experiences to be equipped to move forward in the glory of the story before you. But we find ourselves crippled in the reality of our past that we're no longer living in our present. How are you rewriting your story? He is correcting and commissioning. Rewriting your story is the correcting of your false one. Rewriting your story is the correcting of your old story. He said, do not hold on to me. I want you to understand there's often confusion about what this scripture means because in the older English King James versions, the translation rendered, touch me not, which almost seemed to communicate, hey, don't touch me or you'll defile me. And that's not what's being communicated here. And I want you to understand that because the Greek tense in verse 17 is imperative with a negative. So Jesus is not saying stop doing something. He's rather saying do not do something. And there's a difference. 
There's a difference. Jesus is not protesting Mary touching him. Jesus is admonishing her not to cling on to him because he knows he will see her again. There's a difference in what's happening here. Jesus is trying to rewrite her story from fear to faith, from panic to peace, from mourning to the morning, from hopelessness to hallelujah. How is Jesus seeking to awaken and rewrite your story, but you're stuck in the narrative of your past? Christ was calling Mary to release her former thoughts about even him. Now, some of us grew up in church, and we got a lot of thoughts we got to unlearn about God in order to really step into true relationship with him. Some of us truly believe that if you don't wear a certain thing to church, that you are not in relationship with Christ, or if you don't show up at a certain time, or if you don't have a certain diet. A lot of us have, 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 have been crucified by the church based upon the false understanding of what the empty tomb actually meant. The empty tomb did not thrust you into sanctification. The empty tomb demonstrated God's justification over your life. You are no longer condemned. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world may be saved, not sanctified. It may be saved, not made perfect. It may be saved, not, not, not taught to dress a certain way. He died for you to be saved, period. And Jesus, in his desperate attempts to get Mary to realize that, says, hey, don't cling on to what you knew about me before. Don't cling on to who you thought I was. Jesus is saying, I have done a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He's saying there's waters coming up out of the devils. I am making bones bring forth life. This is what Jesus is trying to get Mary to understand. He's trying to get her to rewrite her story. Don't cling on to me. He's trying to get Mary to understand that he will wipe every tear from every eye, that there will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old has passed away, it says in Revelation 21. Where is God calling you out of the grave of your old story to rewrite your new story of glory? Also, God rarely corrects without commissioning as well. He rarely corrects without commissioning. See, he doesn't rewrite without repurposing. You see what he does is he says, don't do this, but do this. Don't cling to me, but go. And he says, go instead to my brothers and tell them what you have seen. He was calling Mary to step into the purpose of his calling over her life, to step in the narrative of the new story that he has rewritten for her. God is calling you into the purpose of your new story. Listen, your story isn't over. I don't know how hopeless it has felt. I don't know how many battles or barriers you've had to overcome, but your story is not over. It is only being rewritten. Your story is only being rewritten, and there is glory in your new story. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, Verse 1 and 2, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set out before us looking unto Jesus, the author 
And the finisher of our faith, the Greek says the originator and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You don't have to. He came out of the grave. Get out of yours. Despising the shame that has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says he's despised that shame. And many of us continue to stay in the graves of our shame and not tell the story that God has rewritten for our lives because we have not revisited our old one. Your story is not over. It's just being rewritten. And there is glory in your new story. King David said in Psalms 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days of my life were written in your book before I ever lived them. Your story is not over. It is only being rewritten. What is rewrite in a practical sense? Rewrite is to rename and reauthor the story that you are living today. Rename is such a powerful part of that process because you often cannot step outside the reality of your past story until you've named it. Likewise, you diff it's difficult for you to step into the reality of your new story until you have named it. Seeing owning and awakening address our past, our present, and prepares us to make new decisions about our future. Rewriting is future thinking. But how do we know what a transformed story looks like? What does a rewritten story look like? When you rewrite, you are no longer the victim of your old story. You are the hero. It's that simple. When you rewrite, you are no longer the victim of your old story. You are the hero. Renaming your old story will empower you to take the steps that help you live up to the new title that you give it. Whereas in my past life, I may have been the abandoned boy, today I am the emboldened man. These are the titles of my story. I may have been the abandoned boy. Today, I am the emboldened man. And guess what? The father, the children that come after me will not be abandoned because I have rewritten my story to be the emboldened boy. Name your stories when you rewrite. Recognize that reauthorizing your narrative is not a singular event, but it's actually a task of a lifetime. It's something you will have to return to because your life is going to change. You're going to grow. You're no longer going to see things as a child. You're going to see things as, 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 as a more fulfilled and whole person. So you need to revisit this step often. And the goal of rewrite is to challenge the old, taken-for-granted beliefs of your false narrative. Rewriting will challenge the patterns of behavior that you are attached to, your insecurities, your lack of confidence, the lies about yourself that you have learned to believe. It'll challenge those things. Who would I be and what could I achieve if I pushed back against the false story of who I think I am? Another question, who would I be and what would I achieve if I pushed back against what I thought about the world around me? that I have only seen myself in relation to as a victim, that I have only seen myself in relation to through to... <laughs> seen myself in relation to through pain. 
How would your abilities, how would your movement, how would your faith change if you change what you believe about what you think about yourself and step into the identity that Christ is calling you to and change what you see in the world around you? To rewrite your story, you got to ask yourself these questions. Who was I before the world told me who I was supposed to be? Who would I be and what could I achieve if I pushed back against these false stories? What decisions can I make today to inhabit the new story that will help me become the highest and truest expression of myself? There are 107 verses in the Sermon on the Mount, and 28 of them begin with, It is written, but I have told you. It is written, but I say. It is written, but this is the truth. Jesus is rewriting your story. I don't care to know what was written. You need to know that. But Jesus is rewriting your story today. It may have been written, but I have told you. It may have occurred in your past, but I have told you. Step into what God has told you. What is your narrative of your new story, which is a story of glory? When you guys watch that video of Brandon and Ness demonstrating vulnerability and sharing about their struggle in their marriage, they had a name for what their story used to be. And then they had a name for what their story is now. They recognize that, they, that God has rewritten their story. And it's one now that they can step with courage into the vulnerability to explain and to tell why. Because they understand who they are in Christ. They understand who God has called them to in their marriage. It's not going to be perfectly complete. It's going to be a process. But in that process, you will experience benchmarks that will empower you to move on and tell your story. Get out of your graves of shame. Get out of your graves of misunderstanding. Get out of the graves of the false narratives of of your childhood, that is not your story. I said it before, I'll say it again. There is glory in your story today. There is glory in your story today. Jesus came to rewrite your story. He did not stay in the grave for you to keep your old story, and there is glory in your story. My last point is quick and simple recite. You got to recite what you rewrite. You have to Speak what you've experienced. You have to share what you have seen. You have to recite. How are you reciting your story? Listen, does it, does it paint a picture of life or a picture of death? Does it paint a picture of regret or a picture of resurrection? What are you saying about your story? How are you sharing that? What words come out of your mouth as you share your story? Is the story you're reciting one of glory? If it is not, I want to ask you, have you seen your story? Have you owned your story? Have you awakened to your new story? And have you stepped into the rewrite of your new story? Is the story you are reciting the story that God is actually rewriting? Satan tried to write you off, but there is glory in your 
story. You may not have been, you may have been diminished or dismissed or degraded, but when God rewrites your story, it does not matter who tries to write you off because there is glory in your story. You may have been battered, abused, and betrayed, but when God rewrites your story, it does not matter who tries to write you off because there is glory in your story. Someone say to me, I have a book in me. I have a book in me. Someone, let me hear you say, God wrote it. Let me hear you say, and it's a bestseller. Hey, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. I want to close with a thought that I want to acknowledge before you today. And it is that I am aware that this is a lot of work. And I acknowledged last week that many of you have been victims to things that you had no control over, that you did not create, that you could not have prevented. And I want to continue to acknowledge that. And I want you to know that I, I understand that there's a lot of work we're challenging each other to do in Relove as we enter into this five-step process of SOAR. There is a lot of work. But I want you to understand something. Listen. You were given something so truly special when you were given you. God gave you a lot of things, but one thing he gave you that he didn't give anybody else is you. There is power in who God called you to be, and you were given something special when you were given you. There's a prayer written by George Appleton, and I'm going to close with that. It says, give me a candle of the spirit, O God, as I go down into the deep of my own being. Show me the hidden things. Take me down to the spring of my life and tell me my nature and tell me my name. Give me freedom to grow so that I may become my true self the fulfillment of the seed which you planted in me at my making. God, we glorify you. We exalt you. We thank you for the glory in our story because we know that the glory is there because of your story. You lived the life we could not live and you died the death that we deserved. And God, we thank you and accept that sacrifice in this time in this place. Father, I want to pray a special prayer over the people under the sound of my voice, both here and online. God, I pray for a peace that passes understanding as they enter into this process of soaring into their new narrative. Father, I pray for a courage. I pray for clarity, God. I pray for resources for those who may need a little help more than just a pen and a paper, God, who, who need a, a therapist, who need um, uh, some professional help. God, I, I pray for the deliverance of those resources even now and even today. Father, when we look into the mirror, God, we see often only what we perceive in ourselves instead of seeing ourselves by the perspective of you, God. But today, we want to leave that behind, Father. Today, we want to get out of the grave of our shame. We want to live in our rewritten story, and we want to tell it boldly. 
Thank you, God, for the work you did on the cross. Thank you that we can look back at an empty tomb. We love you and we accept you in this day and time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.